Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. He's loved us. He's, he's died on the cross for us. He's promised to prepare a place for us. He's promised that as He ascended into heaven, He's interceding for us. And then He also promised in John 14 that He's going to come back for us. And then we're going to be with Him forever, forevermore. And yet, this world around us has got us so focused on the things of this earth that we lose track of the real thing, the bigger thing, the most important thing, and that's a love for him. Welcome to today's edition of Truth in Christ Radio. If you would have attended a service at the Church of Ephesus, you might have thought, this is a happening church. They're doing so much and they really guard the truth. At the same time, you might have had a vague, uneasy feeling, yet it would probably be hard to pin down. It wasn't hard for Jesus to see the problem. Even though everything probably looked wonderful on the outside, sometimes When we focus too much on working for Jesus, we can drift away from a love relationship with Him. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's message. We know that Paul lived here for three three years ministering to the people at Ephesus. You can read about that in Acts 19 and 20. And he also worked a number of miracles, healing the sick. Paul uh, performed exorcisms. Uh, He confounded magicians and caused many in the city who were given over to those strange arts to, they, they gave their hearts to the Lord and they ended up burning all of their books uh, in the center of the city. You remember that? And also this was the place where Paul wrote his first letter to the Corinthians. Uh, it's a, a place that was home to the Apostle John. And uh, he ministered there and ultimately died there. We know that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there living with John, remember when Jesus was on the cross, he looked and he says, Woman, behold your son. And and Jesus was pointing to John. And he looked at John and he says, uh, uh, Behold your mother. Behold your mother. So John, I want you to take care of my mother. And so when John went to Ephesus, Mary would go with him as well. And we also know that Paul's protege, Timothy, also lived and ministered in Ephesus. So Ephesus was a significant city. It was very busy. And um, they had a lot of things going on. And it's interesting, when we look at the letter to Ephesians, meaning Paul's letter to the Ephesians, not the letter we're looking at today, Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 said this, beginning in verse 15, he says, Therefore, also, after I heard of your faith, so this church that was in Ephesus, 
at the at Paul's time, which was about 30 to 35 years earlier than what we're talking about today. Okay, so we're looking at around 62 A.D. And so at that time, notice what Paul said of the Ephesian church. He says, Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you, making mention of you in my prayers. Now notice what Paul was saying. He was commending them for their love. And then notice what happens. Now, fast forward 30 to 35 years, that church that once started off really in love with the Lord and really burning brightly for Him and serving and ministering to others, we're going to read a letter now that was written around 95 A.D., so 30 to 35 years later. And notice what happened to the church. Notice what happened. They started off really well, and then their flame, their, their fire in their heart toward Christ began to dim, and, and they lost their first love. Instead of being filled with love, they lost it. And it's, isn't it amazing how just a little bit of time, and 30 years is not a lot of time, especially for a body of believers, and they started off so well, and then they slowly, slowly got concerned about things of this life, and they got concerned with the, the cares of this world. And, and isn't it true? Has anybody noticed that this world and everything that you're seeing on television, I would encourage you not to watch much television, uh, because uh, there's so much now, the agendas of all these networks and even the media is slowly, slowly, it's like, uh, it's like water on sandstone, and it's, it's slowly eroding your faith. It's slowly eroding the things that God wants to build up in your life. Don't allow that to happen, folks, because there is and there are agendas out there, and you know what they are. There's homosexual agendas trying to make everybody accept this, this lifestyle, and it's not a lifestyle. It's a sin. It's a sin. No different than fornication. No different than a man and a woman outside of marriage uh, getting together. It's no different. It's sin. And homosexuality is sin. Um, stealing is a sin. Lying is a sin. There are many sins, and that's just one of them. But our culture is slowly eroding the confidence of the church and people. Now it's totally accepted in the schools. And now children have to, uh, they have to make a decision about what gender they are. These kind of things are horrible. But notice that that's what's happening. And so it can happen to us. And I believe to some extent it is happening to us, and that's why this letter is so important, because we must resist it. We don't have to get militant. There's no need to, for people to, to, to get involved in a militia and get a bunch of guns and, and attack something. No, we don't do that. God has not called us to attack anyone. He has called us to pray. And how many of us are really praying? I really want to encourage you to pray, folks. Really pray. We need to be praying. Um, whether we're doing it online here like we've been doing on, thir- on Tuesday nights for the, uh, this last week and we'll do it again this week, um, we need to be praying. Uh, whether it's together or just with your family, let's be devoted to prayer because prayer changes things because God rarely does anything without His people getting on their knees. He can do anything, but He rarely will do anything unless we have a, a desperation in our heart. Do we really want it? Do we really want Him for His kingdom to come? Do we really want... To, to be free from the shackles that the world has put on some? Do you want your mind and your heart to be renewed by the washing of the water of the Word as we're encouraged to do in Romans? Do you really want that? Because if you do, then it ought to change us, right? And no better time than right now for it to change us. And so Paul, you know, 
30 years, 35 years earlier, the church was doing really great. Ephesus was doing great. And in that short amount of time, Jesus now has to rebuke that church. They were doing a lot of really wonderful things. They were very busy, but they had lost their first love. And so with that, let's read chapters 2, verses 1 through 7. It won't take long, and then we'll get into it. It says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These sayings says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. And notice what he says, I know your works. I know your works and I know your labor. I know your patience and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say that they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, notice, I have this against you, that you have left your first love, that you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate, he who has an ear, verse 7, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will, give to, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. The loveless church. And this is kind of a paradox, isn't it? Because when we think of a church, we ought to be the people that are the most loving. We ought to be the most compassionate. We ought to be the most concerned. We ought to be the most uh, giving and yet, we know that uh, today, the Bible says that as iniquity, it says in Matthew, as iniquity begins to abound, as sin begins to be more manifested, and things get uglier and uglier in the world, there's a tendency, uh, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many will grow cold. And that, that's certainly true of the world, but it's also of the church too, and that's something that we have to really guard against. We have to pray and say, Lord, give me that heart of love and compassion for people. Uh, first for you, because if we have a love for God, we're going to have a love for people. But if we just have a love for people, we're going to be in sad shape before long because you can serve. If, if, if this relationship on the horizontal is, is all you have, you're going to burn out quickly and you're going to get really angry and you're going to get bitter and you're going to get frustrated and there won't be any love at all. It'll just be a, a one work after another. You know, this is my, my, my to-do list, and I just do it and do it and do it. And why aren't they, you know, thankful that I'm helping them with this? And why aren't they grateful that I'm helping them with this? And you can be doing and doing and doing, but because there's no love, the motivation is not love, what happens? We get frustrated, we get angry, we get bitter. But if we have love for Him, and everything that we do is motivated by His love, that He's shown to us, right? The Bible says that, God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how he demonstrated true agape love. That's the highest form in the Greek language that Jesus used. That's the highest form of, of, of love uh, was agape. It was, a self, it was a selfless love. It wasn't self-serving. It was rather other-centered. It was self-sacrificing. It's willing to give of itself to uh, whatever extent the Lord would have. And that's the kind of love that Jesus has. And that's the kind of love, if the Spirit of God is in us as Christians, that love ought to be going forth to others around us. And if it's not, we have to ask the question, why? And, you know, we can be like, um, you know, that was what Mary and Martha struggled with, wasn't it? 
Remember Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10? Martha was serving and getting really angry, and, and, and she's there in the house, and Jesus is there, and, and Mary is, is just sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's just listening to what he has to say, just drinking it all in. And Martha's running around, her sister is running around the house, getting things ready, get dinner prepared. And finally, she's just like, Lord, will you tell my sister to get up and do something? And Jesus said to her, Mary, or or, uh, Martha, Mary has chosen the right part, and it's not going to be taken away from her. You know, um, you you were concerned about many things, but she has done the right thing. You know, and, and, and it wasn't that Jesus was upset with Martha. But he, her heart was not in the right place, right? And so we can be like that too if we're not careful. That's why this relationship uh, vertically has to be there. We have to do, we have to love him because of what he's done for us. Everything that he's done for us, think of it. He's, he's loved us. He's, he's died on the cross for us. He's promised to prepare a place for us. He's promised that as he ascended into heaven, he's interceding for us. And then he also promised in John 14 that he's going to come back for us. And then we're going to be with him forever, forevermore. And yet, this world around us has got us so focused on the things of this earth that we lose track of the real thing, the bigger thing, the most important thing, and that's a love for him. So it is a paradox. The loveless church, we ought to be the most loving people on the earth. Even when we're angry, there's nothing wrong with being angry and being frustrated, but it's what we do with that anger, how we respond in that anger, Anger is not a bad thing, but how we deal with it is. Let's look at verse 1. It says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things, says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Seven stars are in his right hand, and it demonstrates that Jesus, that he is in control, that he has ownership and possession of those seven stars, those messengers, those pastors of those seven literal churches in Asia Minor at the time that this was written around 95 AD. These were real churches. Ephesus was a real church. And the right hand speaks of authority and strength, and that's, that's important to understand. And the thing we have to remember is that any man who is in a position uh, as a pastor or, or any position of leadership in the church, he must realize that he is accountable and he is under the lordship of Jesus Christ. He's not to share his own message. You know, uh, there's many messages that people have, but the one message that's important is the message of salvation and grace through Jesus Christ. That is the message that these men should be promoting, that we should be promoting, whether you're a pastor or whether you're uh, uh, all of us together, we're children of God. We should all be in that same mind of sharing the truth. We don't have the right to have our own message. We promote His message And the fact that there are seven stars in Jesus' hand also carries with it the idea is that the church is in his hands. You know that old old Sunday school song, he's got the whole world in his hands. It's true. What does it say in John chapter 10, verse 27? John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus said to his disciples, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Isn't that great to know? If you're a child of God, nothing can pluck you out of his hand. Nothing. No one. Nothing in heaven above or in earth beneath or in hell. It doesn't matter. There is no power that is greater than God. God is supreme in power and authority. He spoke it all into existence. He is able to speak it out of existence. And there's coming a day where he will. But notice... 
That's what he says. And I give them eternal life. My sheep, they hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. And in verse 29 it says this, My Father who has given them to me, Jesus says, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. What great assurance we have as children of God. I love that, don't you? I just love the fact that I'm in the hands of my loving Heavenly Father and no one can take me out of His hand. No one. No one. So rest in that, folks. Rest in it. And notice at the end of verse 1, he says that he not only holds the stars in his right hand, but he walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. And the identity of the seven stars and the seven lampstands, they're given to us in the first chapter of Revelation in verse 20. Let me just read it to you. He says, The seven stars are the angels or the messengers or the pastors of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw, they are the seven churches. So is the book of Revelation so difficult that nobody can understand? Granted, there's portions that are difficult, and, but there are portions that are very obvious, like this. He even defines what they are. We, we just heard them. So is it un, un, are we without understanding? No, we understand what he's saying. It makes, makes complete sense. But notice that he stands, that he's in the midst of the golden lampstands, and Jesus has access and should have access to and have complete mobility to minister in the church, right? He bought us. We are blood-bought, purchased Christians. He has the right to minister in our midst and in and through us. Remember what he says, he is Emmanuel. And what is Emmanuel? God with us. He is God with us. And and, And if he has to knock to gain entrance into the church, as he did to the church of Laodicea, which is the very last church in chapter 3 that Jesus talks about, there's a grave problem. When Jesus has to knock to have entrance into a church that he has bought with his own blood, there's a real problem. Remember what Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3 to the church at Laodicea. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Notice the grace of God. He could just say, You close the door on me after all that I've done for you? I'm done with you. Is that what he said? No. He says, I stand at the door and knock. He shouldn't even have had to be knocking. The door should have been wide open, right? But he still stands at the door and knocks, and anyone who opens, he'll come in. And let me ask you, is that your heart today? Have you gotten to the place in your walk with the Lord where you've gotten so far in your relationship that you said, you know what, Lord, I've gone this far. I don't want to go any further. I'm content with my my fire insurance, I know I'm going to heaven, I know I'm born again, but I'm just going to not, I'm really not going to be a, a disciple. I'm just going to be a, a Christian by name. And you know what? If your heart is that way, you need to repent. You need to turn from that. You need to think differently. You need to turn 180 degrees in the opposite direction. It's so important for us to do that. We can't stay the same as we were yesterday. We're always growing. We should always be growing. So the problem could be that the church has its own agenda and has become perverse. And, and that's kind of what happened back here. They, they, they began to lose their first love. And some churches, they do, they have their own agenda and they've become perverted or perverse. Now, when we think of perverse, we think of somebody who is sexually immoral. But perverse can also mean uh, showing a deliberate and obstinate desire to behave in a way that is unreasonable or unacceptable or contrary to the accepted or expected standard or practice. 
You know, God has created us to glorify Him and to worship Him. And when we cease to do that, when we cease to allow ourselves to be the conduit of God's message of the gospel and also of His love, we become perverted. We become less than what we were created to be. That would be like Ford making a, a new F-150 on the, on, the, on, the, um, uh, on the assembly line. And the car gets completely finished. It looks spotly, you know, it looks spotless, and the chrome is shining. And they put it out there on the showroom floor. And that F-150 says, "You know what? I don't want to be a truck anymore. I'm tired of these contractors throwing their shovels in the back of my truck, in the back of me, and, and running around in the mud. I want to do something else with my life. It doesn't. The, the, the truck doesn't have that option. The truck was created." for a specific thing. The church has been created for a certain thing, and when we cease to do that, we become perverse. And there are some ministers or some churches, people in churches too, that they've forgotten why they exist in the first place. They've forgotten who it is that they should be serving and why they should be serving. Our motivation is so important. We have to be personally and corporately motivated rightly. You know, and, and and we have to do it uh, because you know, are we are we Christians only so that we can have the assurance of going to heaven and not going to hell? Uh, do do we become a Christian just because we will have hope that God will do good things for us? Is that really where it it ends for us? And while those things aren't necessarily wrong, we want to go to heaven. We want God to give us good things, and He does. Are we eternally grateful for what He has done for us and what He has spared us from? That's the thing I, I got to consider, you know. And remember, He was forsaken on the cross and was separated from God the Father for the very first time. He had never experienced that in all of His existence. And He saved us from an eternity separated from God. And He gave Himself an offering for sin. He gave His life. He took our place in judgment. We could not pay the price for that atonement, but Jesus did. He did, because He's God in the flesh. And so Jesus walks among the different churches, and He has the right to critique and to examine. And I believe He's doing that with us right now, isn't He? Just by reading this letter, He's critiquing us. He's examining our hearts. And will you allow your heart to be examined? You know, and, and again, this is a difficult time in our history of our country and the church as well. We'll never forget this. But I hope that God has His complete way in all of us throughout all of this. And again, don't be condemned. This is not about condemnation at all. I want to be convicted because I know there are things that I need to change in my life. I would ask you to do that today. I would ask you to think about those kinds of things and get serious. And get serious in proclaiming that message with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers. And Jesus has the right to do these things, to examine us, because He created us, number one, and also He redeemed us. By the act of creation and redemption, He has that right to do those things. And don't be afraid of giving Him all of your life. What, what is there to be afraid of? I used to be afraid of, I had a, a, a friend of mine named David Rickards, and uh, <laughs> he used to share and uh, pray for me often. And um, I'll never forget, thinking to myself, I don't want to be like him. But now I am, thankfully. But he has the right. And see, the thing is, is we have nothing to be afraid of. We have nothing to be afraid of. 
God's plan for my life, for your life, is so great we can't even imagine. And, and many of you are experiencing it right now. I mean, would you ever want to go back again to your old life? There's no way I'd want to go back. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Revelation. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcasts. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.